Welcome to the Thurfield Chapel Sermon Podcast. Well, good morning and welcome. Let me extend my welcome to you. Uh, as Andrew said, I'm Paul, serve as part of the leadership team here at Thurfield Chapel as pastor. And it's great that you're able to join us uh, this morning as we continue our series uh, in Luke's Gospel. Um, and if you're watching online, greetings to you too. Um, so have your Bibles open to Luke 6. I'm going to pray again. Uh, and we're going to spend a bit more time uh, in this passage uh, considering what it is that God is showing us of his goodness Father, we thank you that you are the God who who speaks, that you are not one who is hidden, that you have revealed yourself to us, and we pray that we would see the revelation of your glory uh, in Christ. Lord, open our eyes to see the greatness of who you are, and may we be changed and transformed, Lord, even now uh, as we gaze on that glory of Christ. Amen. So, uh, have you ever tried to, you know, force something to fit? I think it, it tends to start uh, in our childhood when we're toddlers. It begins with the shape sorter that we have. You know, you have the cube, the cuboid, and that's going to go in the square hole. Of course, at this age, we don't know the name of the shapes. It's just blocky one goes in here. Uh, then we have the cylinder that goes into the circle. You have your hexagonal prism. And we're going to mash that one into the triangle, see if it goes in. And then as you get older, it's the school bag. How much stuff can we cram in the school bag? We're going to force in all our books, going to force in our PE kit, going to force in our, our lunch, try and zip it up. And you get to school and you take out your creased homework. You take out your bent books. You take out your squash sandwiches. It's just me then. No, no, no one else has ever done that. Later in life, maybe it's the car that you try to just squeeze into that space that's a little bit too tight. Or maybe it's furniture. A few weeks back, this story ran on the BBC. Uh, This was a delivery firm that left a sofa wedged upstairs. They got it that far and went, no, I can't do it, mate. And um, why do they always speak in that accent, stereotypically? (laughs) Sorry to sort of any Londoners. They're sorry, Damien. Um, stereotypes. Just speaking a Brummie accent, because um, that's where I'm from. Uh, so, yeah, it's just stuck, and they just left it. Can't do anything with it. Things get stuck. You know, whatever it is, where, wherever it is, try and force something that doesn't fit. Uh, and the end result is we just ruin that very thing. And there's a danger that we can do the same when it comes to God's grace, God's gift to us in Jesus Christ. Now, we try and fit and to squeeze that grace into our categories, try and force it to fit. And what we end up doing is we end up ruining it. We ruin it for ourselves when we fail to, to see the greatness of God's grace, and we try to squeeze it into something that we think in a way that we, we expect it to fit. Now, maybe sitting here this morning, now you feel unmoved by the gospel. And there are days where I feel that too. And it's not because the gospel has lost anything of its power, but we try to 
to take the greatness of the gospel and to squeeze it and to fit it into the smallness you know, of our expectations, of our categories. And when we do that, we ruin it. We ruin it for ourselves. We fail to see the greatness of what it is that God gives to us in Christ. Or perhaps sitting here or, or listening, watching uh, online, for you, Christianity is all about the thou shalt nots. It's become a list of thou shalt not. You, know, you can't do this and you shouldn't do this and you, you shouldn't do that. And if that's your experience of Christianity, if that's what you've been presented with, then you haven't been presented with the gospel message. What you've been presented with is this squashed form, something that's been forced into our categories. And the grace of God gets ruined. When we try to force the greatness of the gospel to fit into our categories, into our frameworks, into the limitation of our vision and our expectations, then we ruin it. And Jesus makes this very point at the end of chapter 5. At the end of chapter 5, if he talks about this, this garment. No one, he's like, you'd be crazy. You'd be absolutely crazy if you're given a brand new garment. And what you do is you rip that garment into pieces because you've got this treasured old moth-eaten garment that's got some holes in that need patching. So no one would do that. You have this old garment with rips and holes in it that you love and you treasure. And someone gives you this brand new glorious garment. You would be crazy. It would be insane to take that new garment and to rip it up to try and patch the old one. Because it's not going to match. And you just end up ruining this thing that's given to you. You Don't try to dissect it. Just receive it as it is, as this gift. And yet this tearing of this new garment is what the Pharisees go on to do in chapter 6. It's what we have a tendency to do anytime we seek to reduce the greatness of the gospel to just fit into our categories and into our framework. And so here in chapter 6, now we are invited to open our eyes wider and to see something more. Now, of the greatness of God's grace to us in Christ. We don't try and fit it into our categories. And we see the greatness of what God offers us in Christ. So as we continue our series in, in Luke's gospel, as we've been saying, you know, Luke is written to demonstrate that Jesus is indeed the fulfillment of all that God has planned, of all that God has promised from the very beginning. His purpose has been that the blessing of his presence extend over the whole earth. And here in chapter 6, the focus is on how Jesus brings the Sabbath to fulfillment. It's bringing to fulfillment. All God's plans and, and promises, they find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. We're focusing in here on something called the Sabbath. And how this is about the blessing of God's presence being experienced. And so we have this question that I think is good for us to ask at the very beginning. Well, what is the Sabbath? This is all about the fulfillment of the Sabbath. What is the Sabbath? So we're going to take a step back again. Um, We're going to look a little bit at the background of the Sabbath. And to do that, we need to go back to Genesis. So back in the beginning, Genesis, we're given two accounts of creation. 
the beginning of Genesis, we have two accounts of creation. One uh, in terms of time and one in terms of space. So it's looking at this theme of the blessing of God's presence from two angles. One in terms of time, one in terms of space. So Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 to 25, focuses on this theme of space, the place of blessing. So the blessing of God's presence is described in terms of it being a place. And in, in this passage, we read about God creating this garden, this place of his, his presence, the blessing of his presence, and humanity are placed in that garden. It's the place, it's the space where humanity are to live, to experience the blessing of God's presence. But before that, in Genesis 1, Genesis 1 to the beginning of chapter 2, we look at this theme, but from the perspective of time. So a period of blessing. And at the beginning of Genesis, we read of the creation occurring over this six-day period. I know when you were in uh, Genesis with Joshua, and he looked at some of the different views that Christians have had over the years. You know, what do these six days mean? And now, are, are they literal days? Are they periods of time? Sometimes I think we can get so caught up with that question that we miss the significance of what's happening here in Genesis 1. Because we get these six days of creation, and then on the seventh day, we're told that everything has been completed, and God rests from his work on the seventh day. And the image is a bit like of someone building a house, a builder building the house, and the house is complete, and now they go in and they move into the house to live there. Or maybe like a king who's been fighting battles, who's defeated all the evil forces, and now the kingdom is at peace, and he comes and he sits on his throne uh, to rule and to reign. It's a similar image that we get here in the beginning of Genesis. On the seventh day, say God rests from his work. And what also sets the seventh day apart is all the other days, they're marked with a beginning and an end. There was evening and there was morning. But when it comes to the seventh day, there is no ending to it. It's a day that begins, but there's no mention of the end of the day. And so it's presented as this period of time, this ongoing period of time in which humanity are intended to live. This period of time of God's rule and his reign, the place and the period of God's blessing. So both Genesis 1 and 2, they culminate with this, this experience of God's blessing. Genesis uh, 1 focuses on the aspect of time. Genesis 2, 4 onwards focuses more on this aspect of space. And then we get to Genesis 3, which we describe as the fall. As humanity, as we reject God's rule and his reign, as we reject the one who is life, who is joy, who is peace, who is love. This experience of, of death and destruction and exile. And the big narrative of the Bible is how God brings humanity out of exile back into the blessing of his presence. And we see the various steps that occur along the way. So when we get to Exodus, the second book in the Bible, we see God call the nation of Israel. And he gives them various commands. One of the things that they are to do is to build something called the tabernacle. And you may recall, we've touched on this a few points over the past few months, 
how the tabernacle is presented as this mini Eden, this place of God's presence. So it fits in terms of space. But also at the same time, when God is giving commandments about the construction of the tabernacle, he gives commandments about something called the Sabbath. And we read about the Sabbath uh, initially in the Ten Commandments. So Exodus 20 verse 8 says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord our God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So do you see something of the link there? How are we going from Genesis through to Exodus? I'm aware that this is quite a lot of information. For some of you, this is too much information. For others of you, it's not enough. Now you have more questions. There's always, there's always a tension uh, in a sermon how much do you show you're working? It's a bit like in maths at school. You know, you need to show you're working to show someone how you've got there, but some people just kind of want to see what the answer is. I think it's important that we do see at least some of the working because I don't want you to just be taking my word for it. You need to see where this comes from so you can test it, so you can examine it yourself. As I say, for some of you, this is too much information. For, for others of you, this isn't enough There is plenty more if you want to talk about it later. But regardless, the thing that I I want us to, to take away, this is the point here. What the tabernacle represented in terms of space, Sabbath represents in terms of time. What the tabernacle represents in terms of space, the Sabbath represents in terms of time. And both these are God's gifts to his people. The tabernacle and Sabbath were gifts to God's people. This was a means of experiencing something of God's blessing, the blessing of his presence. And so on one day a week, on the Sabbath, which incidentally is a Saturday, if you have questions about Christian Sabbaths and and all that, again, we'll talk about it later. We haven't got time to go into it now. But the Sabbath being a Saturday uh, for the Jewish people, This was one day a week where they were invited, in fact, they were commanded to enter into this period of God's blessing. This day where they were kind of invited back into the life in Eden and they were commanded, put aside this work, put aside the toilsome labor of exile. And for one day a week, trust God to provide everything that you need. So it's like being invited back into into Eden. The tabernacle represented that in terms of space. The Sabbath represented that in terms of time. Both of these things were God's gift to his people. And yet they were never meant to be the ultimate solution. You know, during COVID, the uh, Zoom, that was a great gift. It meant there was a way that we could communicate, that we could keep contact with with people that we knew, that we loved, with our friends, with our relatives, with people at church. But Zoom was never meant to be the ultimate solution, was it? 
Because better than that is being able to see one another face to face. Better than Zoom is being able to to share that, that loving embrace. It was a gift, but it was never meant to be the ultimate solution. And the Jewish Sabbath was about symbolically experiencing a day, a day a week, back in that place of blessing, a life back in the garden. But here in chapter 6, now Jesus brings the Sabbath to fulfillment. And what Jesus is doing, to run with a metaphor from chapter 5, is he's offering this beautiful garment, this garment in all its wholeness, in all its completeness, And yet, as we will see, the religious leaders, it's as though they want to tear this garment apart and trying to fit it into their categories. There's a danger that we can do that with the grace of God. And so here, chapter 6, we're invited to see the greatness and the beauty of what is given to us in Christ. So verse 1, chapter 6, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the cornfields. And his disciples began to pick some ears of corn, rub them in their hands, and eat the grain. And some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? So they're out uh, on the Sabbath, a Saturday. They're taking something of a leisurely walk. And when the Dutton family go out for a leisurely walk in the summer, all it goes foraging for blackberries. Something she loves doing, handful of blackberries. The disciples are doing something uh, similar. Uh, But here they're eating ears of corn. Now, this is something that they were allowed to do. In the Torah, in the Jewish law, God had made provision that a certain amount of food could be gathered by hand from people's fields. You weren't stealing. Just like if you forage some blackberries. I mean, if you go into someone's garden and you start pulling them off the bush, that's wrong. But if you're walking down and it's just in the hedgerows, that's fine. It's a similar thing here. And notice the Pharisees' complaint is not what they're doing. But when they're doing it, it's not they're stealing. Their complaint is, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Their issue is not with the what, but with the when. They are breaking Sabbath uh, in the Jewish eyes. See, the Pharisees have become very protective about the Sabbath. uh, And in many ways, for a good reason. So at this point in time... This Jewish nation, they're under the oppressive rule of Rome. And for about the last 600 years or so, they've been under the oppressive rule of different nations. And they were sent off into exile by Babylon. And all this had come about, the scriptures said, because the people had turned away from God. And one of the things that comes up time and time again are the people desecrating the Sabbath. And the religious... Leaders at the time sort of have this view of never again. This is not going to happen again. We're so concerned with securing God's blessing. We are going to make sure that none of this happens again. So they become very protective about the Sabbath. And they add these extra regulations to make sure that no one breaks the Sabbath. And so when they see the disciples out there picking ears of corn, they immediately go, they're harvesting. And harvesting is work. And then they start rubbing it in their hands and they're eating the grain. It's like they're threshing, they're winnowing wheat and that is work. And you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. And we all know what happens if we break the Sabbath. It will not go well for us. And so they become highly critical 
of the disciples here. So we can have some empathy, I think, with the Pharisees at this point. According to the Pharisees' mindset, they are doing what is unlawful. And when you do that, you are putting the whole nation in jeopardy. Now, how would we respond to to the Pharisees if we were in this situation? I imagine many of us would just say, don't be so pernickety. That is not harvesting. Picking up a few bits of grain and eating them is not harvesting. But how is it that Jesus responds? Slightly surprising and in an obscure way. Verse 3, Jesus answered them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Nice history lesson, Jesus. But, but what's, what, what's the point? What, what is the point that Jesus is seeking to make? He's not playing the it's not fair card. You know, the sibling card of they got away with it. You didn't tell them off. What are you telling me off? That's not what Jesus is doing here. Now he begins, haven't you read? You've missed something. Haven't you read? Now, of course, they'd read this passage. I mean, the Pharisees knew their Bibles better than we do. But in saying this, Jesus is saying, you've, okay, you've read it, but you haven't. You haven't seen what's there. You've missed something. This was a well-known account, and it presents something of a conundrum. Because David is described uh, as going into the tabernacle, and he takes out some of this bread that was only to be for the priests to eat. And so there's something of a dilemma here, you know, what's happened? Uh, And people came up with various explanations, and, and some people at the time would say, well, you know, it wasn't actually The priest bread that he was given, he was given bread from the tabernacle, but it wasn't the consecrated bread. It was some other sort of bread. Because of this dilemma, well, David seems to be, the the great King David seems to be breaking the law here. But Jesus says, you've missed something. In your explanations, trying to explain it away, you've missed something. And he makes it very clear. Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for the priests to eat. You can't have that loophole of no, it was some other sort of bread. Jesus says, let's just look at what happens. David enters into the house of God. He takes some of the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priests to eat. And he gives some to his companions. And you've missed something here. Have you never read? And what I think Jesus is doing is he's forcing the religious leaders to meditate, forcing us to to meditate, to look at this afresh and to mull it over in our minds, to keep playing this scenario over and to see what is happening. David enters into the house of God. This is the description of the tabernacle. He goes in and he takes out some of the bread that is meant to remain in the tabernacle, that is meant to be there for the priests. And you remember how we saw earlier, let's go back one, how the the tabernacle is symbolic 
of Eden, that garden in Eden. In effect, what David is doing is he goes into Eden. He goes into the place of God's blessing. And he takes that blessing, he takes the food, that, that blessed food, out of that garden. This is an anointed one, a king who's entering into the garden symbolically and is bringing the blessing out to those who are outside. And when you look at it this way, now this breaks all the frameworks. Now this is meant to be a mind-blowing event. And Jesus, in presenting this to the Pharisees here, is saying, you know, the, the result is not that you should be saying, whoa, hang on, David, what are you doing? It's meant to be a wow, what has just happened? This is shattering everyone's expectations. I think this is the point that Jesus is making. On what we see as a picture here of David doing, Jesus is saying he is about to do with the Sabbath. That a precedent is laid down in Scripture. And the precedent is not someone broke the law and therefore I can. The precedent is that the law is being brought to a greater fulfillment. There is a greater fulfillment of God's purposes. And you see something of that happening in this event with David. And that's what Jesus has come to do. And therefore he goes on to say in verse 5, the Son of Man, which is Jesus' way of referring to himself, is Lord of the Sabbath. And not only does that align him with the creator God himself, whose the Sabbath belongs to, but Jesus is saying he's about to do what, what David did. He's going to bring the blessing of Sabbath out to people. This is like Jesus closing the lid uh, on that laptop. Not because he's bringing an end to Zoom, but because he's bringing an end to the lockdown. And so in verse 6, on another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue. As he was teaching, a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, still trying to fit Jesus into their categories, into their framework. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking And said to the man with a shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. And then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? He looked round at them all and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so and his hand was completely restored. And the response that is meant to come from this is meant to be a wow. That what the Sabbath symbolically represented, Jesus is doing now in front of people's eyes. He is bringing that period of blessing out to the people that they may experience the blessing. The real experience of the actual seventh day of the Lord's Sabbath, is being brought into people's lives. That experience of God's rule and God's reign breaking into the world. The kingdom has come because the king has come. And so as Jesus speaks, this man's hand is completely restored. This Sabbath day, this day of wholeness, this day of completeness. 
It's no longer a symbol just to be practiced. It's a reality that is to be experienced, that is to be received. The response is meant to be, wow. But how do the Pharisees respond? Verse 11, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and they began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. To go back to that image from chapter 5, they've just been offered, they've been presented with this brand new garment, this complete garment, glorious and splendor. And they rip it apart to try and fix, to to match in with, with their categories, with that hole, to patch that old garment. And when they see it doesn't match, having already ripped it, they just want to discard and throw away the whole thing. So they start to meet together and they plot. They discuss, what are we going to do with this Jesus? So caught up on the woe, they miss the wow. And the question for us is, do we miss the wow? Do we miss the wow in what God has done? When we began the sermon, we started by considering the danger of trying to fit God's grace into our categories. And the problem is our categories are just too small. Our categories, now our frameworks are too small, they're too pitiful. And what we end up doing is, is kind of ripping and, and tearing God's grace into small pieces. We end up with this distorted and destroyed view. Now sometimes we approach Scripture like it's some sort of rule book. Or a spiritual self-help book. The scripture does contain instructions, but we can, we can get caught up in wanting to know what the woe is. Like, whoa, how far, how far should we go here? And it becomes the main focus sometimes that we want to find the boundaries of our behavior. Rather than the boundless greatness of God's mercy in Christ. Sometimes we like you know, the, the letters because they're practical. They tell us things that we need to do, things that we can measure. And then we can struggle with other parts of Scripture because they don't seem as practical. We want something practical. Just tell me what I need to do. Tell me how I need to do it. And we do need to, to know the instructions from Scripture. But when we make it just about that, then we've missed something. And Jesus probably says to us, have you never read? Have you missed it? Often our mindset's not a million miles away from the Pharisees. A couple of weeks back, I talked about struggles that I had when I was younger in terms of sexual purity. And there are many books that you could read at the time. There's still many books now. And whatever it is, now if you want to find a, a book on that topic, I'm sure you can find one. And often they give you scripture verses to memorize. And I'm not against memorizing scripture verses. It's a good thing for us to do. But often the scripture verses that are given to us are the woe scripture verses. There's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. And that's true and that's good. And we need to know that. In terms of anger, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. 
That's good, and we do need to know that. But if that just becomes the main focus, if that's the only thing that we're presented with, if we're just presented with the woe, well, that doesn't change us. It may show the boundaries of behavior, but there's something more that we're meant to see if we just reduce the gospel, if we reduce Scripture to that, then we miss out on the wow. And the wow is where the change and the transformation happen. That we're given this message of what God has done for us in Christ, and we can try to fit it into the categories of, of well, what must I do? And if we do that, we just focus on the woe, we miss the wow. We miss what it is that God has done for us in Christ Jesus. That's what they fail to see. It's what the Pharisees fail to see. It's what we can fail to see. It's, I know what I can fail to see. Sometimes we see that when we first became a Christian, but we forget about it. We need to keep coming back, and we need to see the greatness of God's grace to us in Jesus Christ. That in Christ, there is full forgiveness. Now, we live in a world where if you mess up, you are canceled. You are done for. And it could have been something that you did 20 years ago, and you've grown and you've changed. The world finds out about it. You are canceled. Jesus doesn't cancel you. As you come to him, he cancels your sin. He doesn't cancel you. Now our sin it is, is taken by Christ himself. And the just judgment and the punishment was meted out on the cross. And so that we're not canceled. Our sin is canceled, but we're not canceled. And not only forgiveness of sin, there's freedom that is given to us in Christ. That we don't have to be bound by these desires that, that so often lead us in this route and this direction of destruction. But there is a new life that is given to us in Christ. The one who has died has been freed from sin, we're told in Romans. And we've been united with Christ in his death. See, life now is, is not as good as it gets. There is change or is transformation that comes about because Jesus is ascended. He rules and he reigns. He is the one who, he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And we can experience that Sabbath now through the work of the Spirit in our lives. Knowing the blessing of God's presence to change and transform us. And one day Jesus is going to return again and we will experience the Sabbath in all its fullness. Justice will finally be done on the earth. And my words cannot do justice to the greatness of God's grace in Christ. This is something that is to be a lifetime of us looking at and meditating on. So let's not miss it. And I speak so much to myself in this. As we look at Scripture, as we look at Christ, let's not get caught up with a woe. Now there are instructions that we're given. And God gives us instructions because his ways are good. He knows what is best for us. But we need more than that. We need to see the greatness of what God has done for us in Christ. We need to see the wow. And so the question for us this morning then is, is how will we, how will you respond to Jesus? How will you respond to him? Will you try to force him to fit within your categories? And within your framework? Or will you receive him as he is? 
Allow him to just blow those frameworks out of the water. And to see and to know and to experience the immensity of his grace towards us. Let's pray. Lord, we're told that eye has not seen, ear has not heard. No mind has conceived the things that you have in store for us. Lord, there are our categories of, of what we think we need, our felt needs, that are just too small for the immensity of your grace. Lord, and yet we're also told that you have revealed these things, the immensity of your grace by your Spirit. And so we pray that you would... Lord, continue that work in our lives, whether, now we have been a Christian for years, or whether this is something new for us today, Lord, that you would open our eyes, that, that we would see afresh the, what it is that you, you offer to us, what it is that you command us Lord, to come and to experience in Christ. Lord, your goodness it is so great that you, you would even command us to experience the goodness of life in Christ. So, Father, we pray that you would give us eyes to see that. Lord, that what we treasure is not you know, our categories. It's not, not the things of our life that we think just need patching up. Uh, but that we would fully embrace Christ every moment of every day. Lord, and that we would see our great, a great treasure, a treasure beyond our wildest dreams, Lord, that you give to us uh, in your Son. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or would like prayer relating to anything you've just heard, then please do get in touch. We would love to hear from you. You can do so by emailing us using hello at thurfieldchapel.org or fill in the contact form on our website or send us a message on social media. Thank you again. and Please do join us next week online or in Thurfield itself at one of our services or events. We would be delighted to welcome you. God bless.